as God's people fell into sin, the Spirit became a force to help people know God once again. Then Jesus came to die for their sins and rise again on the third day. And then he ascended into heaven. And soon after, the Spirit came down and empowered Christians to spread the good news. The early church faced many difficulties, but the gospel continued to spread across the world. Since then, centuries have passed. The gospel continues to spread in some areas of this world, but most of the Western world, the church has faltered. Less and less people see Jesus and his church as a light shining in the darkness. Followers of Jesus are becoming a minority as the church tries to figure out where to go from here. Welcome to the fourth and final week of our series, The Force versus the Spirit. The sermon asked the question, do people know the difference between the Force and the Holy Spirit? I mean, they both contain power, but yet they're both kind of mysterious. I know Star Wars is not everyone's cup of tea, but the series on the Holy Spirit is vital to our church, vital to God's people. I've thrown in a few Star Wars references to kind of make it fun. And I'm going to have a few of those today, but mostly early on in the sermon as we kind of move past that as we end this series. So for many church people, the idea that there's an invisible God who rarely audibly speaks is a pretty big leap of faith, but they're willing to make that leap of faith. But when you start throwing in Spirits, good, bad, strange giftings, miracles. It can be a big leap for many of us. I'd like to think I understand a little bit of where you're coming from. Now, there was a character in Star Wars who was the skeptic as well. His name was Han Solo. He was a smuggler by trade, and he gets hired to transport this small band of people with these strange beliefs across the galaxy. And he says to them on that first voyage, I've flown from one side of the galaxy to the other. I've seen a lot of strange stuff. But I've never seen anything to make me believe there's one all-powerful force controlling everything. There's no mystical energy field that controls my destiny. Anyway, it's a lot of simple tricks and nonsense. But as he journeys forward in these, with these strange people, he starts to change his mind. Years later, he would be asked if the Jedi were real. And he replies, I used to wonder about that myself. Thought it was a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. Magical power holding together good and evil, the dark side and the light. Crazy thing is, it's true. Force. Jedi, all of them. It's all true. Now, I grew up in the church, so I was never the truly true skeptic that Han Solo was in the Star Wars movies. I grew up in a nice little country, United Methodist Church, and, and then right between Lincoln and Omaha there. But one year, as I entered my teen years, somewhere around there, we were assigned a new pastor. In the United Methodist Church, you have maybe some say, but mostly they dictate who you will get. And we got a new pastor who was a great, wonderful man, but Pentecostal. 
which was contrary to the United Methodist Church way of doing things. So it was quite the craziness in our church for a while. And yeah, I had a bad feeling about that. And we kind of had to try to wrestle. And my family and my parents wrestled with these issues and really read the Bible in a way that they maybe hadn't, weren't challenged to read it before. Now, when I got to college, I decided to go to Nebraska Wesleyan, which is not a Wesleyan college. It was United Methodist. It was a pretty liberal college, to be honest with you. And, and though I majored in social work, I took some philosophy. I took some religion classes. It was pretty liberal. Challenging in some ways, and I don't regret it, but I could easily see where they could have wiped away my faith. I think the head of the religion department was agnostic. That tells you anything. Tells you a lot about how liberal that was. Later, when I went to seminary, I got to hear more viewpoints on different issues. And, you know, students and professors tell all the different things. So this is not to give you the impression that I've heard it all, because, of course, I have not. I don't know it all. Um, I've not been to one end of the galaxy to the other. But I want to convey a little bit of the journey that I've had in my life about this about the process trying to understand what to believe and what not to believe. See, if you know me, I do have a pretty skeptical side. I'm not easily convinced. Sorry to say that, I do like you, I do trust you for what your, your beliefs are, but if you know me, yeah, you're not going to move me real quickly. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it can be kind of bad in some instances. We all need to keep growing. We all need to be open to new ideas. We need to remember that our minds, while are important to our faith, we are dealing with limited minds. We can't really grasp all this stuff. And sometimes when you think you know it, then God says around and just does something totally contrary to what your whole belief system is. I hate when God But he does made me change what I thought I kind of understood as a basic framework at times and go a whole different way to go. I believe our denomination has been undergoing some of that as well. Recently I read a book. I, I don't even remember who it was referred to. It might have been referred to by our district superintendent. I'm not sure, but I, I remember someone recommending it and called by Signs and Wonders. And I was able to read this book, and then actually process it with our district superintendent and with our general superintendent. And if you know anything about the denomination, general superintendent means he's the bigwig of the whole denomination. They were here doing an ordination service in October in this building, and I, they were just standing over there. I'm going to ask. And they were telling me, yeah, this book I think is solid. And we know the, we know the pastor who wrote it, and he's solid ground. Because I'm like looking at it and this book's true. Kind of missing the boat a little bit here. They support the book. And so that's one of my resources that I've been using for this series. Not the only one, but it's been one of them. And I think the bottom line that we have to ask ourselves, here's the million-dollar question. Why is the church failing in the year 2000? The simplest simplistic answer is, well, it's failing because fewer people are coming and fewer people are involved. And, you know, people are busier today than they were in the, in the 60s or 50s or whatever. There are more options today. Certainly, you know, you could talk about, oh, the rise of evil and the, and, and the pain in the world and the people are, are just 
getting away from the light and all that, which that's true. People have free will. God gives people free will. And and you really, don't we have to say this? To some degree, they're not coming because they're not getting much out of it. Oh, that hurts. That hurts to think about that. I'm a pastor. This is what I do. This is what I prepare for all week. This is what I think about day and night. And to hear someone say that, or think that, oh, it hurts. How can that be? God's all-powerful. God is all-loving. This is His church. Why shouldn't He do something to make it relevant to the church, to people who come? Pretty serious question of God, right? Putting, putting God on the carpet? God, what are you doing? So this is what the series is really about. And the bottom line that we're talking about here is the conclusion above all of the other things that we could change in the church or, or about what all the church needs. And you can fill a room with all the good suggestions and bad suggestions we could have about how the church could be better. The biggest reason is lack of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes the church comes alive. In many ways, it is that. So what we believe about the Holy Spirit is just live or die stuff. Now we've, I've I've even included over the last three weeks uh, all the the, the points that I've made in your bulletin. And you've got like 15, 16 points there. And you can go through them and decide whether you agree with them all or whether you have questions. Sometimes I may not have phrased it the right way, but... but, uh, there are, you might say even putting that in the Bible. The scriptures are listed and everything. You just put that right in your Bible. But the other side of it reminds you about the stuff going on. So you might want to keep hold of that side for a while in front of you. So here are some good reasons, biblically, I think, why the Spirit is not always as active as he could be. I think all these reasons are possible. They could be a combination, therefore, under certain circumstances, they could be a combination. Number one. The Holy Spirit is not as present or active because God wants us to wait on Him right at this As the Scriptures, and I read these, this pops up. Because God wants His people to be at times in a, in a, in a prayer of, of just a deeper need for Him. Because what happens when everything goes wonderfully and, and God's blessing? We get complacent. And we take for granted things and all the things that comes with with things going well. And there must be a time where his people need to be in the wilderness a little bit because that's sometimes where we grow when we things aren't going right and we're not blessed so easily and we have to crave and just be faithful. And that is a good thing. Number two, another reason why the Holy Spirit may not be as present and relevant. We are not where the Holy Spirit is at. See, the Holy Spirit does come and go. We we will always have the Holy Spirit to some degree, and we can always come in and be reliant on that the Spirit is with us. That's always going to be true. But the just the indwelling, the, the 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 overwhelming sense or miracles of the Holy Spirit, that comes and goes. 
So if you're out and about, or if you're in some group, or that, and you think, oh, wow, the Spirit is there. You need to tell the rest of the people, wow, the Spirit's working here right now. The Spirit's working right now. It's kind of sad sometimes, because I know that sometimes I'm teaching a Sunday school class or something, and I'm like, oh, it's okay, I'm sure it's not bad, but I'm not really sure the Spirit's strong right now. That exact sign. Um, number three, maybe we've not fostered the Spirit given to us when we came to Christ. That one hurts too. But you know, the fruits of the Spirit are the most important thing. But just because when we came to Christ, we've been given this deposit of the Spirit, it doesn't mean the Spirit's given true freedom to lead our churches and our families and our individual lives. We were talking about that in Sunday school this morning. You know what? God's going to keep challenging us. And, that, and we get scared of growing to the next level. At the same time, we get scared that God's not going to care for us at the next level. Like He's only going to just wipe us and make us do all this hard work and not going to reward us. That's crazy too. But anyways, we don't keep growing. And that quenches the Spirit. Number four. Here's the one that's really, really hits home. It goes back to kind of where we started here. The church is missing something today. And that's why it's And the million dollar question again is what's why is it? What does what does the spirit what does the spirit want from us? Is it deeper prayer? Is it serving the poor? Is it receiving the gifts of the spirit? What is it? We're maybe missing something. You have to wonder if our community right now was dependent just on our church to be the light. I think we'd be able to do it. Now, maybe this we need to do a little historical background here. We need to remind ourselves that the Spirit has shown up over the years. I mean, I know there have been many fakes. I know there are charlatans who have taken people's money for the sake of Jesus. But I really think you can't... I've got to be careful how I say this. People reach different conclusions than myself. For me, it's hard to believe that all of that was real. To me, there are just too many evidences of things that cannot be explained. Do not say that God did. The working of the Spirit was, was, you know, people would walk on Asbury College and they would fall to their knees by just walking on the campus. That kind of breaks a little bit my whole theology too. But the presence of the Spirit was so strong and I don't think you can just explain that away. Bibles pop up now and then when God is glorified, when Christ is lifted up. And when the Spirit comes down, He makes Christ real and people are empowered to live differently. Yes, there is a mystery to the Spirit. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oswald Chambers once said, the Spirit is the first power we practically experience, but the last power we come to understand. Yeah, there's going to be a mystery to the Spirit. And that's why we've been so leery of it. We can't really control it and understand it totally. I know this, though. 
We will never earn the Spirit. We will never jump through all the hoops and say, okay, God, you said if we did this, you doesn't work that way. We just prepare the ground, we become empty vessels, and God does what God chooses to do. And we have to be okay with God God chooses to do. Sometimes God does miraculous miracles. And everybody says, wow. Sometimes he stirs someone in the heart, and that's still a miraculous miracle. Sometimes he heals somebody, sometimes he doesn't. Wait a minute. Your mother was my mother died. Take two. This was still a miracle. There's a few reasons. God's going to choose to give some people gifts. He's going to choose to not give other people certain gifts. And we can become guilty. What we can do, though, what we can control is we can... Because the Spirit is a respecter of people's wills and choices, we can cut off the Spirit. We can, what the Bible talks about, is quenching the Spirit. And we need to stop worrying so much about all the evil around us and just start worrying more about where we are at and what's going wrong inside our body that prevents the Spirit to move. So here's a few general ideas. We can get a lot more details, but here's some general ways that we can shut off the Spirit. When, number one, when we're more interested in His power than His presence. His power is not a bad thing. It's not something that we don't want. But we must want Him more than we want His power. His presence. And when our motives become like God's, He's willing to share His power with us which is great, but we're seeking him first. Number two, similarly, similar to that one, are we more interested in mer- miracles than mercy? It's okay. I'm, I'm praying for miracles. I really want a miracle. But you know what? God says, you better get your heart in a merciful place for people that I care for, things that I care about, more than you want a miracle. Number three, is our pride and control issues getting in the way of the Spirit? See, the Bible talks more and more and more about how the gifts can be used for the common good. You know, I think over the years, and I've been guilty of this, I've always had a sincere belief that God changes lives and hearts. But slowly over time, you start programming the worship service or whatever else you're programming, knowing that God kind of varies what he does. And therefore, since God doesn't always show up in the way that I want him to, we better make sure that people at least have a good show when they're here. I'm saying it extra bad, but the emphasis is there. So that at least, you know, if God doesn't show up, and then before long, his program him right out. We just lift him right out. And I start to wonder, see, I'm a real stickler for doctrine. I'm a real stickler for making sure that I'm Wesleyan and all in line with powers above me. And But I read this quote in this book, and it said, maybe God cares more about humility and wrong doctrine 
than he would over pride and correct arguments. Meaning, even if we do it all right, we're not humble before him. It's worse than having wronged and being humble. Here's the are we not asking for the things God wants us to ask? James 4.2 says, you, you do not have because you do not ask. Here's the bottom line. Are we not seeking, not seeking God's gifts often leads to not Not seeking God's gifts often leads to not having. Talk last week, if you missed it, fruits of the Spirit and how important they are. And those are things we grow in and have to mature in. But there's also the gifts of the Spirit, which God just wants to give us. And this is these are tricky, tricky little things and uh, that the church struggles with knowing how to implement or understand or know whether they're applicable today. But I believe there are three types of in this world. People who have who have who have a, who have don't never witnessed a miracle, or never experienced something that just was totally beyond comprehension, they just believe. They trust God's word, they've been taught that way. They just believe that makes sense to them. And there are people who who can witness God in, in many ways, and, and and I've even experienced this where some lady said, Boy, I saw angel or you like glowing and when you were speaking you never came to faith there are people who will see miraculous things and won't come to faith in christ but then there's the third group people when confronted with the miraculous will come to faith in christ now i don't know what the the, the ratio is from one group to the other. But let's just make it, let's just say it's an equal. Let's just say it's a third, a third, and a third. Just think, if we could have a third more people in this city know Jesus, that'd be John 14, 11 says, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. See, the Bible doesn't mix words here. There's a direct connection between the Holy Spirit, miracles, and those being saved. Some of my background even has a hard time saying that. But that's, that's, that's New Testament stuff. We must do everything biblically we can to invite the Spirit to work. And I have been so cautious in my history that I would rather not do it and be safe than have a chance of doing something miraculous but because I was afraid it could end up not being where do you at? maybe it's because I'm a pastor and I'm getting older and I see the church falter Maybe I'm getting desperate.
Maybe desperate is a legitimate. It's in the Bible. And yet, the Bible's not always why today once was done things differently a long time ago. But context considered, if it's in the Bible, maybe we should try. Revolution. Maybe we should try. I don't know what God's going to do in this church today or next Sunday or next year. I have no desire to become like a church down the street. But I'm willing to try some things that I haven't tried before. Especially when I think they're true to God's this begins today, right now. Now, I am not a charismatic Pentecostal person. Not been my history. Not even my current being. But I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I believe they're listed in the scriptures. We've talked about them. And I am open to that receiving any gift of the Spirit God wants to if you are in that same boat, maybe, I'm not inviting you all to come forward. I'm inviting those who are ready. I'm inviting for those who maybe don't know. Some of you already know what gifts you got. You received those. You've already used those. You don't need to come forward. We're going to start praying more in this church for people. We're going to talk. We're going to invite people to come forward who are dealing with physical ailments. We're going to invite people to come forward dealing with loneliness, depression. We're going to invite people to come forward with financial struggles, whatever. And we're just going to pray for you. You know what? Spirit's job after that. Am I? What the Bible says. So, those who don't know what gifts they've received and they are ready to use those gifts for the greater good, I'm going to invite you to come forward. And I'm just going to do, if you ever had Ash Wednesday or whatever, you've ever been put a signal on the sign of the cross on your forehead, I'm going to do that with just a oil, a drop of oil, say a quick prayer over you. That's it. We're going to ask God to reveal himself. It might not be now. It might be next week, next month, whatever. Whatever God We're going to be faithful to the scripture. I'm going to invite people to come forward. When, when I, After I've anointed you and prayed for you, you can go, but I do have a small gift for you. If I don't give you this, just come and grab it. Um, we have more in the office if you run out. 